God, we thank you for another day that was not promised to us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is already ushered in your presence here among us. And we just ask that you would continue to do what only you can. In this hour, God, may you comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable, and meet us all in the in-between, God, as we hear a word from your holy scriptures. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank God. Well, there's a story of uh, this older woman named Miss Elder. She was leaving from church one day. And as she turned the corner to enter into her home, she noticed that there was a light piercing through the corridors of her house. Nervous, she parked, exited her vehicle, and approached her front door. She put her key into the lock, turned the lock, pushed the door ajar, and to her surprise, there was a burglar in the room. She looked at him. He looked at her, both startled. She did the only thing that came to mind, recite scripture. She said, Acts 2, and da-da-da-da-da, before she can even get out the scripture, the man runs out the back door, fumbling over bushes and the fence. She immediately picks up the phone, and 20 minutes later, the cops apprehend him. Now, this young man was 18 years old. He was one of the athletes around, had fallen on hard times. And so the police said, sir, how is it that a woman in her 70s could get us to capture you, and you're 18 years old? He says, well, Officer Scott, I'll be honest with you. All I heard is I got an accent of 22, and I took off. Thought y'all would enjoy a little bit of Texan humor. Amen. Well, this morning, as my father mentioned, we are continuing our sermon series, Managing Your Mindset. Now, last week, you heard a good word about the mindset of comparing and, and conquering comparison. And as Pastor Brawley mentioned in his preaching, that we are more than enough in Christ. And in fact, if you think about it, whenever you're driving, if you start to look to another person's vehicle, either to your right or to your left, what will happen is you'll miss your own lane and get into a wreck. Comparing yourself brings wreckage in your life. And so what you need to remember is that you are more than enough in Christ who was our Savior, who is our Savior, and will come yet again to save us. And so this morning, we're going to continue that sermon series focusing on perfection, focusing on conquering perfection. Now, I have to be honest with you, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Enneagram test. It's one of those battery of personality assessments, but I'm a number one on that, which means I am a perfectionist. I want things to be detailed. I want things to be in order, and I enjoy systems. So I'm recovering, and part of this is my testimony, if that's all right with y'all. <laughs> now, as Pastor mentioned in this series, your attitude dictates your approach to life. Your approach to life will determine your actions, and that action will then bring about certain outcomes that you will experience, right? So it's mindset, approach, action, and then outcome. And we're going to visit that same principle or that same understanding today. Now, before we get into what perfection is, I think it's first helpful for us to have a definition. Uh, I believe working definitions are important when you're using a word to understand a deeper meaning. 
Now, when we talk about perfection, what usually comes to mind is that someone has a high standard. They have an eye to details. They are keen to being very critical because they want things to be right in order, high standards, and perfection. What's interesting is that there is a difference between the word perfection and conscientious. Or uh, if I can say conscientiousness. Because essentially a conscientious person is one who wants to perform at a high standard, one who is attuned to details, and one who does have a critical eye for the purpose of evaluation. The difference, however, between the two is found in the habitat of failure. The person who is, has some level of conscientiousness is a little bit different than the one who is a perfectionist. And it's found, as I mentioned, in the habitat of failure because one can walk away from their failure with their dignity and value intact, but the other gets bullied like Debo did on Friday. <laughs> and what I mean by that is a perfectionist. We have this inner critic that translates one failure in life to the rest of our ecosystem. As a perfectionist, what happens is if I fail in this one area, if I don't do well at my job, if I underperform, if I don't meet expectations for others or myself, not only do I feel a failure in that one particular category, but now I look at my entire life as a failure. Some of us may struggle with that today. As I mentioned, I myself am recovering. Perfectionist. Now, it's actually very difficult to not be a perfectionist in society. I mean, if you think about it, what we see on social media and all of the postings, the European standard of beauty that has been edited by five different styles of airbrushes and 10 different filters is what is used to advertise certain products or by social influencers. So the minute that we get on social media, we're no longer seeing a direct representation of reality, but we are seeing a false reality appearing real, and one that forces us to think that in order for us to be beautiful, in order for us to have value, in order for us to have the lives that these self-proclaimed influencers have, we have to model ourselves like European beauty, long blonde hair, blue eyes. I'm just, all right. It's okay. It's all right. We even do this in school. Think about it. As students, you get scholarships based on merit in field and in classroom. We don't give scholarships that often to UGA top 10% to someone who makes a C or D as an average. So even within our students, we're already conditioning them to be perfectionists because in order to really achieve something, in order to really get something that's valuable, in order to have your education paid for, in order to go to the next level, you have to be attentive to detail, have high standards, be keen to criticism because it's only the A students and the stellar athletes that get the scholarships. That is perfectionism. And studies will even say that today we have built more youth and young adults who have perfectionism and a working inner critic within them than we have in generations before us. And I wonder if that's why so many of our young folks struggle with anxiety, depression, etc. 
Now, when it comes to perfectionism, what takes place is that we think essentially that our expectations and our standards are what ought to occur. We have high levels of expectations that are often unattainable from other people, even from ourselves. And what happens is we think that in order for a woman to be a good wife, I'm in somebody's house this morning, I'm sorry. But we think that because uh, in order for somebody to be a good wife, they have to cook five meals a night. They got to clean after cooking. They got to do laundry after that. And then they got to be able to put the kids to bed, work a good job, and keep the body fit and look great. And if they don't do all of that now, they're not a good wife. On the other side, some of us may be thinking about this as well. To be a good husband, you have to be financially stable and literate, which are two different things. You got to have that good paying job. You got to be able to come home, have enough energy for the family and the kids, be a repairman, good with your hands, because if you're not, you're not a good husband. And then on top of that, you got to not have the father figure, which I'm trying not to have, but you got to stay fit, slim, and active. Some of us have such high standards that we think in order for us to really be who God has called us to be, we got to meditate on Scripture day and night, fast and pray all throughout the week, then still have enough time to work out, to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning to conquer our goals, then go to work, work a 9 to 5, get on a side hustle. After getting on a side hustle, have a little bit of time for yourself. Try not to eat fried food. I'm just... Perfectionism. And the difference, again, because the, be, between the conscientiousness person and the person who's a perfectionist is the inner critic. In the midst of all of that, we feel as if we are a failure because we don't hit all of those goals. So now I'm not a good wife because I do everything else, but I'm not a good cook. I'm not a good husband because I do everything else, but <laughs> I'm not a repairman. I pay people for that. I don't have any, some of y'all, all right, we got some witnesses in the house. I'm just saying. Listen, I have to give examples because I need you to see the story. It does, sermons are a communal experience, amen? And what happens is we're having a conversation with God based on Scripture, and so it's good that you talk back. Sometimes when I preach, I have to remind the church, it's okay to say Amen. And if you can't say amen, just say ouch. It'll be all right. But here's what happens. Because of perfectionism and having these high standards, this attention to detail and criticizing everything, when you experience failure, two things are going to happen. You will either become disengaged or you experience a level of dissatisfaction. Perfectionism leads to being disengaged and dissatisfied. Let me back it up a little bit. As I mentioned, it is your attitude to approach, to action, to outcome. The attitude or mindset is perfectionism. You approach the world in thinking everyone, including yourself, has to be perfect. And when that does not happen, the action you take is dissatisfaction. 
or disengagement. I mean, think about it like this. The perfective person in having this mindset is an all or nothing kind of mindset. I got to have it all or I don't want any of it. In order for me to be a good husband, I got to do all of it. In order for me to be a good child, I have to do all of it. In order for me to be a good employee, I have to do all of it. Sometimes we pass up on job opportunities because they don't offer benefits, off days on weekends, their hours aren't working with our schedule, they don't give us a car for the job, a a work vehicle. Sometimes we pass up on opportunities because we don't get all of the things that we truly want out of it, and so therefore we say we want none of it. We think about it in in the same way uh, when we disengage for fear of failure. Sometimes, <laughs> Mama Sam in everybody's house, but <laughs> sometimes we don't even want to engage in life or in a situation because we're afraid to fail. We don't want to fail. We don't want to look bad. We don't want to have that shame in our lives. We don't want to go forth in the way that God has called us to. We don't want to step out on faith because we fear that we will fail. And when we fail, that inner critic gets to talking and it tells us something about ourselves. It tells us something, not just about the situation, but about our entire life. And so because of that, we don't engage we instead take a step back and say, it's all or nothing, or I'm too afraid to move forward. There's an interesting thing with psychology. I don't know if you all know this, but when it comes to hiring for a position, it actually can be more damaging to hire somebody who's a perfectionist than not. It's kind of interesting to think about it, right? Because you want somebody who has high standards who has an attention to detail and is critical for the purposes of evaluation. But the side effects of that is that typically perfectionists recovering leads to anxiety, depression, and the like. The second thing that happens, of course, is dissatisfaction. Nobody can make you happy. Nothing in life makes you happy. You can have all of the things you want in life, except for one, and it throws you a whole off. Your kid can be a good kid, go to school, make good grades, but because they hang out with the wrong crowd, now you think your kid is just terrible. You yourself, you make one mistake, even in the midst of accomplishing so many goals, you can, you can say to yourself, this week I told myself I was going to eat healthy. I was going to eat within my certain macros, eat within my certain calories. And you had one day that it went bad, one meal, and now the entire six days and some odd hours. Listen, <laughs> I'm in my own house this morning, y'all. I'm in my own house. right and then think about it this way I need to find other examples but these are the ones that just come to mind because they're very real for me and those I know Uh, sometimes we will pass up on a potential partner 
because they don't look like Idris Elba, six foot two, dark skin, all the abs, financially stable and literate, right? Some light-skinned brother come with curly hair, and you're like, wait a minute. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. <laughs> and now you're dissatisfied when you win him because he's not dark-skinned. That's not in my house, but anyway. It's not in my house, but anyway. <laughs> Listen, y'all, we've had a wonderful weekend, and so I'm just having fun today. And at this point, some of you are probably even experiencing a level of um, dissatisfaction with the sermon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the reason being is because you're like, this man just gets up here and is joking and talking. Where's the scripture at? All right, yeah, all or nothing. I want to. When you think about it, though, when you think about it, though, right, many of us have these characteristics within ourselves. We have high standards. We were taught to have high standards. You know, you have to work for it. You have to have grit. You have to try harder. You, you have to be attuned to the details because the devil's in the details. That's the mantra we teach. And what makes it even more difficult when you talk about perfection is when you have scripture that actually commands you to be perfect. So we know perfectionism leads to disengagement. It leads to dissatisfaction. We understand that perfectionism can also lead to anxiety, depression, and so many other mental conditions. So why is it that Scripture says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect? Why would God command us to do this? When we know that a perfectionistic mindset leads us to an approach in life where we will never be happy fully, and yet God tells us this. And so for the next part of the sermon, I just want to talk and walk through Scripture because I love it so much. When you would think about be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect, you can do two things with this passage. The first is to translate the Greek word telos into maturity or completeness. The Greek word telos can mean perfect, it can mean complete, or it can mean mature. And so when you translate this passage, you can actually translate it as be mature, therefore, as your heavenly Father is mature. Be complete, therefore, as your heavenly Father is complete. And I think that this passage will hold up to that translation because just before that, Jesus is commanding his people, love even your enemies. Because what benefit is there to really, you know, loving others who love you? So an accurate translation could indeed be mature as your father in heaven is mature. But I think there's a second option where we can take more scripture and allow that to interpret scripture. So I'll teach you something. I'm a Methodist pastor, and we always talk about this thing called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. If you know what a quadrilateral is, it's something with four sides. For us as Methodists, we use scripture, reason, tradition, and experience as a way of interpreting the will of God. It's always based on scripture, but we use reason and logic. We use our experience. And then we also use our historical tradition. 
looking at this passage, in fact, I want to bring in one historian named St. Augustine. He says, if, again, it is through himself that a man is able to live without sin, then did Christ die in vain? But Christ is not dead in vain. No man, therefore, can be without sin, even if he wish it, unless he is assisted by the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Essentially, what St. Augustine is, is arguing is the fact that we truthfully cannot be perfect because we cannot be without sin on our own. And if you know what sin is, it's any transgression against the will of God. It's anything that goes against the will of God. And what Augustine is arguing is that it is our natural condition for us to always want to go against the will of God. So, therefore, we have an inclination and a natural state of being that we are imperfect. For if God truthfully is the divine being, the omnipotent one, the omniscient one, the all-knowing one, the ever-present one, if God truly is that, in order for God to be God, he must be perfect. And because we are not perfect, we are not God, and yet in this scripture, Jesus is commanding us to be perfect as our Father is in heaven. So how is it that we who are not perfect, cannot be perfect, are commanded to do something to which we really can't do? I think Hebrews 10, 14 provides a little bit of an answer to that. It says, for by one sacrifice, he has made what? Perfect. For how long? Forever. Those who are being made holy. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. The reference to he is Jesus Christ. His sacrifice is being hung on a tree. And what Scripture is arguing is that because of Christ's sacrifice, because of his atonement for our sins, because Christ took upon all of our sin upon his body, and he hung there, bled, and died, because of that, we can be perfect, not in ourselves, but through the sacrifice of Christ. Y'all don't understand me. See, what it means is that outside of God, outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, outside of what Christ did for us, we will always make mistakes. We will always be imperfect. We will always be people that are constantly not doing well. And so what happens is that is the primary reason why Jesus Christ had to come. He didn't wait for us to get it right. He didn't wait for us to become righteous. He didn't wait for us to become holy. While we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. And what happens is now, because Christ has come and died for us, when God the Father looks at us, he does not see our imperfections, but he sees us clothed in the righteousness of God. He sees us covered in the blood of his Son. He sees that atoning sacrifice and says, though you are a sinner, you are saved by grace, and I see my Son upon you. We are made perfect forever because of the sacrifice and yet we are still being made holy. And the reason being is because it is truthfully a process. It, the, the end has already been certified and accomplished in Christ for an everlasting, eternal time frame. The process for us is what we're still working through. Think about it this way. The Super Bowl trophy. 
I know some of y'all have some hard feelings because of the Falcons. It's all right. <laughs> There's no hope for us as Texas either. They are imperfect as imperfect gets. But <laughs> when you think about the Super Bowl, the trophy has already been developed, created, and made. The team, the, the, the security teams have already been hired. The venue has already been booked. Many of the parties have already been scheduled. The only thing that we're waiting on is the teams to go through the process of a season and a playoff. Your salvation has already been booked. Your perfection in Christ has already been guaranteed. All that you will be in Christ is already done. We're just going through the process called sanctification, whereby daily we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. So therefore, the only way we can live a perfect life is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. This is why Paul says in Corinthians 12 and 9, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. And what? Weakness. Another way of saying that is my power is made perfect in imperfection. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, says Paul, about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You and I don't need to be perfect because Christ is already perfect. You and I don't have to worry about that inner critic telling us our value is less than because we aren't perfect. Because we serve a God whose grace supports us when we fall. Now, let me be mindful here. I'm not saying that we should not strive because the Bible says do not use grace as a license to sin. Instead, what I'm arguing is that we must constantly be aiming for the mark. We must constantly, through the process of sanctification and being made holy, continue to try to be more loving, to be more kind, to be more peaceful, to be more like God. That's what we should strive for. However, when we fail in any part of our life, that doesn't mean that God loves us any less. That doesn't mean that God looks at us any different. And because of that fact, our imperfections actually glorify God's perfectedness. Now, here's the thing, and I'm wrapping up. I believe that there is an antidote to perfectionism. My wife actually was the one who helped me on my road to recovery. Because what happens is we want to focus on the end goal, the task, and oftentimes forget the whole process. We don't feel that we made any progress because we haven't achieved the goal. And what my wife had told me, which is so true, is just to be grateful. Just to be grateful. You may not get exactly where you want to be. You may not achieve everything that you want to be. But can you just be grateful? One of the antidotes to perfectionism is gratitude. Because if you truly know that you are made perfect in Christ, you truly know that there is no way that you will ever be perfect, why try for something you know you won't achieve? And so instead of that moment, say, I will try, but I'm going to be grateful for the journey. 
My job may not allow me to be off on this weekend, but I'm grateful I got a job. My house may not be two stories, but at least it got a roof. My life may not be fully what I want it to be, but at least I have breath in my lungs. I may be sick and going through some sicknesses right now, but I can still wiggle my toes and my hands. I wish I had somebody this morning. My kid is going about life all the wrong ways, but at least I have a child that still listens to me. My spouse may not be able to cook or clean, but at least I got a woman that will give me her ear. My husband may not be able to repair things. He may not be financially literary, but at least he's open to my... Come on here, somebody. Sometimes in life, you got to just stop looking at your imperfections and be grateful for what you have. Gratitude is the antidote to imperfection. When you live a life grateful for what God has given you, your mindset will begin to focus on that instead of what you don't have. You will begin to see, oh, my goodness, look at all the ways that God has blessed me. From the small things to the great things, I am grateful. And the second thing, which is really interesting because psychologists argue this. So it's found in science. They said the true antidote to perfectionism is unconditional love. Because part of what we feel as perfectionists is that your love for me will change. My value is going to change. Everything is conditioned upon my success or failure. But when you throw in unconditional love, it makes all of that go away. And I don't know of anywhere else in the world where you can find unconditional love except from the Father in heaven. Except through scripture except through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's unconditional love. And it's the kind of love that God has for us. So no matter if today, right now, you are in the worst place that you've ever been, no matter if you showed up to church today or watching online and you have just gone on a rant of sin, you fill in the blanks, I don't need to. God still loves you. And no matter if today you showed up and this is the best that you've ever felt, the best that you've ever done, the most that you've ever accomplished, you're just excelling. God still loves you here as he did there. Nothing we do will ever change God's love for us. That's how you conquer perfection. You be grateful for the things in life and you remember that there's a God who loves you no matter what. And because there's a God who loves you no matter what, you're being made perfect in your imperfections and are being made holy through the process of sanctification until finally one day we receive the reward in this afterlife and we will be made perfect in Christ. Amen. If you'll just join me in prayer all over the building as the musicians are getting set. God, we are so grateful that you are made perfect in our imperfections. We are so grateful for your grace that catches us when when we fail and it provides fuel for our success. 
God, we ask that you would help us to not turn that grace into a cheap grace. But that instead, Lord, you would allow us to remember that that's just another sign of your love, a sign of your strength, a sign of your promises, and a sign of your support in this process of sanctification, God. Lord, help us in our perfection mindset to focus on being grateful, Lord, for all that you have given us. And to remember that we are loved no matter what. And that love is transformative. That love is what saves. And that love is what conquers perfectionism, Lord. This is our prayer in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.